When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. All right, the Ravens won a preseason game again, and here we are. It is film study with Ken McCusick. Ken McCusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing all right. Um, the Ravens, they keep winning these preseason games, and you keep telling me that that's important, but these games don't mean anything. Yeah, that's true. The games themselves don't mean a damn thing, and, and we won't get confused by that. But what does matter is there is a systemic reason why they are winning these games, and it has substantial portent for the regular season as well. So defensive depth, you've heard me talk about it before. Does it matter you win preseason games? No. It matters that you have the defensive depth, that you dominate the the other teams' twos and threes. That absolutely matters for the regular season. So uh, we should be happy with this, even though they're just preseason games. And the 12 consecutive preseason wins ma- matches their franchise record, and that occurred – from 1998 to 2000, it was capped by that Super Bowl run and the greatest defense of all time. So this is not a bad thing to have this kind of defensive depth. Now, this was a different game because it was just your typical preseason game four where all the starters rest. But it's not the last preseason game for the Ravens. So it's a weird time to do this, right? Yeah, it, it was. And, and it really speaks to the Ravens' strength of their depth that they were able to win this game where they rested all of their significant starters. You know, Weddle, Suggs, uh, Yonda, Flacco. Uh, Collins had one carry, I think, before he got caught. He just he went to the sideline. Thomas Hammock shook his hand and said, you know, take a knee kind of thing. Right. 
everyone sat for the Ravens, who was significant in this game. That left them very short on the offensive line. It let them, left them short in terms of defensive starters, but the depth did just fine. And uh, and in the second half, that really came to bear, and they they beat the Dolphins twenty-four nothing in the second half. Uh, so uh, a, a pretty typical Ravens preseason win with a very dominating second half. And uh, uh, yeah, definitely all the more impressive because they were able to sit their regulars. Right, and um, I think that the. the... For me, the big takeaway of this game was that Lamar Jackson isn't proven, and we'll get to that on the offensive side. But then when I look at the numbers that this defense held them to, it's it's unbelievable with none of the starters out the stars out there. That, that's right. I mean, they, they only had 50 defensive snaps, so they only the the that offense only ran 50 plays. Now that takes out the penalties, but still, that's very few for an NFL game. The NFL game average is right around 65. Uh, snaps per game so you, you'd see that uh, you know f- when you hold the opposing team in the 50s that's a very good thing but holding it to 50 exactly is is quite rare and uh, and this is a good game right right um, before the game uh, I guess there were injuries start are finally starting to mount up we we've been saying how this preseason the Ravens have been lucky and healthy and all and uh, I guess it started with Hayden Hurst yeah, so Hayden Hurst had some surgery on his foot that either has already occurred or is going to occur. I, I believe it's already occurred. Yeah, it already occurred. he had occurred. to have a, a screw put in to put things together in his foot. Now, I don't believe that's at all related to Liz Frank. If it is, it's a very serious injury. He'll miss all of this year, and and you know we would question if he'd be 100% next year. I, I hope that is not the case. It's elsewhere in the foot, and they're talking three to four weeks he's going to miss. Right. So uh, let's let's hope that that's the schedule they can actually stick to on that. Uh, the other tight ends, by the way, uh, mishmash of problems there. They got a couple experienced guys, but probably one they'd like to cut. So it'd be unfortunate if they had to uh, if they had to keep everybody on the roster because Hayden Hurst is not ready to go here in the first week. So, but beyond that, uh, the left tackle Greg Sinat got hurt in the game. Uh, we do not know the extent of the injury, but he did not return afterwards. Didn't play honestly that well. Gave up a sack, but uh, he is the only other pure tackle, other than Brown now, who is healthy. So that's a big concern for the Ravens. And I would imagine right now, Ozzie Newsom is working the phones, looking for a tackle, and trying to trade some of the surplus talent the Ravens have a lot of positions on defense to find that that backup who can get him through these first few weeks. Okay. We mentioned, I, I think uh, uh, we were talking about it beforehand anyway, that Deshaun Elliott broke his forearm. He's he's apparently going to be out for the season. I haven't heard it officially stated that way, but that's certainly the case I, I expect it to be. Uh, that actually puts the Ravens in a position where they can create a spot on the roster by having Elliott not there because I think they would have been forced to keep five safeties. Now they can keep just four, and that will give them a little bit of flexibility to keep an extra defensive back. Uh, some various options for that, or maybe just keep someone somewhere else on the roster, whether it means RG3 can stay or or another offensive lineman or whatever it would be. But anyway, it's a spare roster spot, and the Ravens are, are much in need of those at this point. So while it's a terrible injury for Elliott and it will, uh, will uh, you know hold back his development a little bit, I think he'd showed a lot of this preseason, and uh, and this will actually help the Ravens from a, from a roster perspective. We didn't talk yet, I don't think, about Stanley and his knee problem because no. uh, it was after the last game or during the last game this occurred. So he didn't play the rest of that game. 
and he's he's uh, uh, not back, in my opinion, for the remainder of the preseason. I haven't heard that said officially. The hope is he'll be back for week one. I kind of doubt it, given the nature of these sort of injuries. Stanley's also, when he's been hurt in the past, they've been very careful with him, taking extra time. So uh, we'll see, but uh, but I think there's a chance he may be end up sitting out the opener as well. So uh, hopefully it's not a long-term injury. Uh, Jimmy Smith's suspension piled on this, and we still have Maurice Kennedy not practicing, which is giving us a second hole in the in the cornerback rotation, uh, which is is tough. They're going to have to uh, do something about that for these first four weeks. And then also uh, Willie Henry had hernia surgery on uh, Saturday. You know, good good point. I'd forgotten about him. Now the Ravens do have a lot of options at interior pass rusher, which we're going to get at in, in a little bit. So I think they're actually fairly well set to take care of of him being missing there will be some more time out of the heavies that'll have to take each a little heavier workload but uh, but i think actually in terms of a pass rushing interior lineman they should be good all right so we're, lo- we're talking about these guys that are going to miss some time and stuff but let's get to the game because we did have the return of tony jefferson yeah so that's exciting tony jefferson had one of these soft tissue issues which usually means hamstring but he he you didn't have any specific time frame, and you never do with Harbaugh and when he'll be back. But he, he returned this week. Uh, Martindale actually used him in a number of different spots on the field. But the one thing I liked is that he seems to be happy using Tony Jefferson in some man coverage opportunities. Uh, he had him in man coverage, opportun- man coverage of a tight end on the outside. And Jefferson was trying to do a little bit to fake whether he was going to move up or back because everybody else – pretty much of the entire 11 was at the line of scrimmage. And sure enough, Tannehill threw a slant pattern to his guy, and he really didn't have a way to defend it other than just make the tackle after the first down had been uh, converted. So anyway, they they, uh, they tried other things with him, and, and he played the run well, I thought. Uh, he wasn't perfect uh, in, in, his, in his other play, but it was good to see him back on the field and looking like Tony Jefferson at least flying around. All right. We've talked a lot about uh, Martindale's defense and – uh, what to expect from it. So going to this this game watch, and it's been playing vanilla, but it seemed like he was mixing some stuff in there. Yeah, so there's two there's two components to that. The first is he shut down the dime again at the half, which you know how much I love the dime and, and how much of a part of Ravens right. history it's been. But, but, but he shut that down again at the half, and just to get some more inside linebacker play where I think they need some more people looked at you know they certainly have a better competition going on there than in a lot of other positions right we're not going to assume that that's his strategy for the season is that no. it's shutting down at halftime no there there you go i think that would be that would be exceedingly yeah, unlikely that, that's so. showing everyone it's a practice yes 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 so uh that, that's the first thing it was the dime the second part is that i thought even in the second half he ran a number of complex pass rush schemes and the thing we saw more of in this game and it was very exciting how often and how well it worked were uh, stunts and twists. And they had five sacks in the game, but a lot of them were generated off stunts or twists. So uh, Awasu had a sack early that was generated off a uh, a stunt by Williams, where Williams just did about as good as I could ever seen somebody uh, jam his body into the left shoulder of the left guard, sorry, the right guard, to distract him. Awasu had an easy path to the quarterback, and then somehow Billick, Credited Judon on the outside with pressure, and he did, Judon did get pressure. I don't want to minimize that, but but it, the play was completely made by Brandon Williams on the inside. So we we saw a lot of that. Correa had a rare three gap stunt during this game, which we will hopefully talk about briefly a little bit later. But a, a lot of a lot of various stunting pressures 
And, uh, and the underneath guys were very effective. Wormley also had a sack as an underneath guy um, on a twist. So all good stuff, and, uh, and we'll talk about some of that more what, later. What is this? Is this a change in philosophy, or is it a change based on the type of players they have now that they have better athletes that can do this stunt and twist? You know, that's, that's a real good question. I think um, some of the stunting does require a little bit of speed, and Correa and Tim Williams in particular are very good candidates for that. I think some of it also is that uh, Dean Pease wasn't that much of a fan of the stunt. So we've, if, if different defensive coordinators love it to different levels. And Martindale's in the middle, I would say, honestly. Pease liked it less than others. Uh, if You probably would be at a similar level of Martindale if you're talking about Rex Ryan. And the guy who loves stunts more than anybody else is Marvin Lewis. He's, he's stunted all the time, right. including with interior defensive linemen a lot. So uh, yeah. Anyway, it's it's a. I think there's some differentiation. It kind of almost looks like they're trying to work on certain things each week as they move through this preseason. And 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 last night was more stunts and twists than anything. All right. Um, how are we in the situational pass rushing game? Well, you know, the, the situational pass rushing we talk about on the outside a lot. And you know, we fought with five outside linebackers and all these other guys who who could potentially play the position if, if we're including people like Correa, who might not make the team, and, and Kafusi, who seems to be on the outside. You know, you have all these outside linebackers to choose from. So the situational pass rush, a lot of it occurring there, is very good. Um, the one guy who's special in that group is Zadarius Smith because he's an inside pass rusher. And that's where the Ravens' options are more exciting this year than they have been in recent years, in the interior pass rush. They have Willie Henry, who unfortunately has had this hernia problem. We don't know how long that'll keep him up. But he's the one kind of proven commodity on the inside in terms of pass rush. So Darius Smith has also been there. He's a monster. He'd be better on the outside, but they have to have a guy for inside. So he's he could be the guy there that they use the entire season. But this year, the Ravens have had this tremendous emergence of five techs. So last year, just looking back, they had two and a half games out of Brent Urban, who, Urban, who was playing great when he when he left, but you know he only played two and a half games, and I think he could provide a lot of interior pass rush value, both in terms of uh, actually getting the quarterback and getting some sacks, but but also getting his hands up in the passing lane, which all three of those five decks have the size to do. So, uh, Urban, Chris Wormley had a sack last night and looked good, looked good getting his hands up, and uh, and Zach Sealer, who's looked terrific this preseason. And it's 6'6", 290, and, a, and just a complete handful on the inside. So they got three guys on the five-tech who I think may allow them to move Smith even back to the outside for, for, for some snaps so he gets some, some other better pass rush opportunities for himself. So uh, very exciting in terms of what they have on the interior. It hasn't been this good in many years. That, that, that may be the best ever that I can recall. All right. That's exciting. That, that is good. Let's talk about some of these individual guys like we do on each episode. And – the first guy is the guy who you've been pretty high on this year, Chuck Clark. And he got he got a a helmet to helmet penalty, which is one thing I want you to address if you thought that was a real penalty or if that's how's that gonna affect the way he plays the game and then how right. did he do the rest of the game? Yeah, it's it's been stated that, that you know, it's gonna change the way safety is played in the NFL to basically have the helmet rule being what it is. I don't think that's what the owners want. So they're coming out supposedly with a new training video on this that I hope is going to train both the players and the referees on how to on how to call it. So you have a you have a, a two-way street there, but Clark had a helmet to helmet where it looked like it almost could have been called on either player. Both players lowered their helmet. The the Dolphin player uh you know took the 
helmet on the side of his helmet. So it's one of those things where, you know, he probably gets the benefit of the doubt, I think, as Billick said on air. But um, right. definitely was a case where, where both players lowered their helmet. And Booger McFarland in the Colts game made a good point that when you lead with your shoulder, your helmet has to naturally come into the play. You can't take your head off your shoulders, so your helmet's going to be there when you lead with your shoulder. So Right. Uh, that's that's why I think the way you fix this is no helmets. That, that's that's what I'm pushing for is forget all this helmet rule. Just go no no pads, no helmets. Suddenly it's a safer game. No pads or no helmets. Okay. Right. Wow. Because then okay. you know, then you don't have these weapons that you're running into guys with. If you give them if you give them the hard weapons and the and the pads to feel protected, they're going to use them. Right. Well, everybody, everybody will want to play with a cast in that situation. Maybe you have to say no casts also if you're if you I, if you do that. I always thought the cast was a little bit of an advantage. Yes. Yes. I think there's a lot of offensive linemen from the 1960s who used yes. their casts very heavily as uh, as bludgeoning weapons. Right. So anyway, so how did how, let's get to Chuck Clark? Chuck how Clark. did he do? So mixed game up and down. He he, he had a, a missed tackle on a run play, and he he didn't look that great in on the uh, on the helmet to helmet thing, of course. But he did have a very. I'm sorry, he didn't have a missed tackle on a run play. I'm thinking of Correa. He was late on the wheel route where Drake beat uh, Patrick Owasu down the left sideline. Uh, Clark should have been the guy to be over there a little sooner, and he wasn't, and that meant that that Owasu had a very difficult one on one play to cover. Uh, Kenyon Drake, who's who's fast, and uh, and wasn't up to it, and but he did do good things. He he had two nice undercut uh, tackles or quick tackles on pass plays. He uh, had that interception that was a center fielder's interception. I love that because uh, he's back there like Ed Reed, figuring out how can I exploit the coverage that already exists there on this player. So Averett had great coverage. In his case, Averett was behind the receiver. It allowed Clark to undercut the throw and make the interception. And and that's what you want out of your free safety is an ability to do that. So seeing Chuck do that makes me think, yeah, he can play the back end well. And, and we already know he can play the dime and some of the other front end responsibilities. So I'm very excited about Chuck Clark in terms of what he can deliver this season. Great. Uh, Jean Baptiste also got an interception. Yeah, yes, say, second right? consecutive game for Jean-Baptiste. And, you know, it, it, the, the last two games, it's been a case of, of the ball is just out of his reach and other people are making big plays. But uh, he had the interception to close out the last game, and then he had an interception, which was a, a uh, length interception. I mean, he he's 6'3". Let's compare him to Darius Williams. He's six inches taller than Darius Williams. And then, you know, the rule of thumb from basketball is that your wingspan is uh, uh, exactly equal to your height. So the arm length above your head is approximately half of that as an increment to your height. So okay. he's got three inches of extra of, of extra length in his arms plus another six inches of extra height. You're talking about a nine-inch advantage over a player like Darius Williams in terms of getting to a football. And he used all of that to uh, get a fingertip interception. Uh, that I, I really thought the Dolphin receiver should have tried to knock it out of his hand. If I were a Dolphin fan, I'm sure it would have been upset about that. But great interception by Jean-Baptiste. And he is now in pretty damn good shape, I'd say, to make this roster based on the injury news that has is, is come out this week. All right. Uh, let's stick with Darius Williams since you brought him up. He seemed to be right behind guys getting the tackles in after the catch. Yeah, yeah so he, he made a couple quick takedowns in coverage. And, and I don't want to minimize that. Those are both good. One of those was for a loss. So he's been quick to the football after the catch. That's very good. Uh, he generated pressure on a slot blitz. So he grabbed Osweiler's foot. 
didn't get the takedown, but he slowed Osweiler down by about a second, and he still completed the pass. That's unfortunate, but but doesn't matter. He did his job. Just the rest of the pass rush didn't didn't really leverage that opportunity into something. Uh, he did miss a tack, tackle on a screen pass on Jeremy Langford, who's the guy with the Ravens had briefly last year. That he could have had him for a loss, that ended up being a gain of five. That was unfortunate. And then one play that kind of might go unnoticed because it was an incomplete pass. Isaiah Ford was open in the end zone right by the right pylon, or actually he was covered well by Darius Williams, I should say. And then there was some sort of obvious contact because Williams was going to the ground as that ball arrived. And fortunately, the ball sealed out of bounds. Well, good for Williams for having hip coverage. Unfortunately, this is another example where Williams didn't really play through the contact well and wasn't able to get his hands up. So if you want to look at that, that's at quarter three, 1240, if you want to go back and, uh, and look at game pass or your DVR to check at that play. But, uh, I, you know, a lot of people would say it was a good play, but unfortunately it really had more more bad portent than good as far as I'm concerned for Darius Williams. I see. Um, all right, I know you want to talk about Correa. So he had a good game. Let's get to... Yeah, so his first, his first really big game since the opener in the Hall of Fame game, but he had four pressures in this one. And, uh, you know, he picked up half a sack that he split with Tim Williams. And that was a, a beautiful, you know, chamber of commerce, or maybe better would say a yearbook cover sack for the Ravens to have uh, Williams, Correa, and Davis all uh, bearing down on the quarterback at the same time. And then the very next play, he helped put Osweiler in a phone booth. And what I mean by that is he bowled the left tackle uh, directly at Sam Young, directly back into the quarterback, and that allowed uh, um, who got the sack on that play? I am trying to remember, but I do, but I don't remember who got the sack on that play. Anyway, I, he he phone boothed the guy, and there was a sack on the play, and that that he gets a contributing pressure on. So good night for Correa again, and uh, it was mostly against the pass again, and he played all outside linebacker in this game, no inside linebacker. Okay. Uh, second time you've mentioned Anwazner being part of a play. Who's winning out between him and Kenny Young? Yeah, so I, I think Owasu is winning, is losing the battle, I'm saying, to Kenny Young. Uh, they are, they're getting very split playing time, so Martindale's doing a good job where he has competition of getting guys in in the first half who are in the competition, see what they can do against number ones. That's something they always talk about, but Martindale's actually doing something about it. Uh, so outside linebacker, it's happening, certainly. The inside linebacker is happening as well. And uh, and Kenny Young's getting some getting I think more opportunities and he's doing a little bit more with them. Uh, we mentioned the one play that 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 does not bode well for Patrick is Kenyon Drake on the wheel route. Now that's a very tough assignment for an inside linebacker to cover a fast running back on a wheel route, which is a route right down the sideline, um, and and it's it's difficult to do, but. Speed is what can do that, and it really underscored what Kenny Young can do for this team with the extra speed he brings. So I think that he's probably winning the battle right now. Chibs on our last show made the point that whenever the coach says things are even and there's a rookie involved, right. the, rookie the rookie's winning. got it. Yeah, that makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, last guy for you is I saw Carl Davis had some pressure. Does that mean his game's improving? Yeah, so he had his first good game in a long time. This is interesting because Carl Davis last year, I think, saved his uh, he saved himself maybe from being cut with a big interception return in the final game of the of the preseason, and uh, he he had two pressures, looked good, looked good against the run with a with a nice blow up on one play. Uh, he looked like he was playing big. 
I don't know if the Ravens have a spot for him. And once again, Patrick Ricard, who is also pretty much dominating the line of scrimmage, providing some pressure, and also, of course, provides something on offense, is really the guy who is likely to beat him out of a spot. So the Ravens have, uh, you know, four guys who can play the heaviest position on the defensive line, uh, even, uh, um, uh, you know, without Davis. So, and that's assuming Willie Henry doesn't lose the whole season to this hernia. So uh, uh, we'll see if that helps out Davis as well. But, uh, but yes, he, he's, he's right on the bubble, probably, in my opinion, on the outside looking in at this point. Uh, I don't think they, they'll cut Zach Sealer to keep Davis, but, uh, boy, you never know. All right. Um, well, let's get who's your MVPs for this preseason game. You, so, can't, you can't pick Suggs. He didn't play. No, yeah. You're going to have to pick love- someone else. I would love to pick Suggs every game. It would just be easy. But uh, Stanley Jean-Baptiste gets the number one for me. I think he just missed out last game. And the two other guys have been playing so well every week. I feel bad, you know, including them in the in the MVP awards. But Tim Williams could very well deserve it again in this game. Tim Williams has 20 pressures in four games this season. So he he, he picked up another uh, half sack in this game, but uh, 20 pressures in four games, just just outstanding for the number of sacks he's played, for the number of uh, snaps he's played. And then Kenny Young, again, contributions across the board, uh, made a, uh, had a sack where he came unblocked. He had a, uh, a nice uh, um, uh, coverage where he had quick tackles on two occasions. Uh, he did have an, I drew, I'm sorry, an unnecessary roughness flag on Eric Smith. So this was on a, on a tackle he made by the right sideline. He actually went down, and then Eric Smith did some childish thing where he stepped over him. He's a tackle, and the officials immediately flagged him for, for unnecessary roughness. I think it would really be more like unsportsmanlike conduct. And I, I, it's almost like you can't credit Kenny Young with that. But this had to be something that made Eric Smith angry about what Kenny Young was doing in the play. So I do credit Kenny Young for it, you know, in, in, in that case. Anyway, uh, nice to see him make contributions across the board again. And uh, uh, if, if you didn't see this play, I'm not sure, but he had an unbelievable pursuit of Kenyon Drake. And this is quarter two, 1140, where he took him down from behind right by the right sideline. And if Shivers didn't go through your spine, Remembering back to Super Bowl 35 and Ray's shoestring tackle of Tiki Barber, which has been, of course, we've seen that a lot the last couple of weeks since right. the Hall of Fame game. Uh, you know, it, uh, it it certainly struck that chord with me and was and was uh, exciting to see. All right, uh, yeah, that that is exciting. Let's get to the mailbag again. You can send in your questions on Twitter. You just got to hashtag them: Film Study Mailbag. And that way I, it makes it easier for me to pull them up and uh, that Ken and I can go through them each time we do the podcast. So, Ken, first question I got for you is, can the Ravens get Jimmy's suspension into play in time to free up a roster spot to cut down to 53? So how does his suspension affect the 53? Does he, does he take up a slot? or? Okay, my understanding is no. So if, as long as the suspension is not appealed or some such like that, he will he will serve it for the first four games. The Ravens will uh, there'll be some sort of suspended list he goes on where he does not take a spot, and the Ravens have an additional roster spot to use. You know, I've been I've been thinking about his his roster spot, and I I, I haven't read this anywhere yet. So, but this is the theory I've been thinking of is when he comes back after week four, that seems like that's enough time to get Lamar up to speed. That maybe then you don't need to carry any three quarterbacks anytime. And about the same time that maybe a quarterback's going to get injured and you can trade off RG3. 
Yeah, and that's that's also right around when the trade deadline is, if I recall correctly. It's about after week four. So right. that's an that's an interesting idea, Josh. And I haven't heard anybody else say that, but that's a that's a interesting uh, proposition there. If the Ravens obviously are off to a bad start, that could make a lot of sense too. Right. That, if that's they, the other thing is it gives you enough time to see how how important is a, is a decent second string quarterback going to be. There you go. All right. Um, Minion Hunter gets in with what are the chances Perriman and Waller both make this team? Okay. So interesting and complex problem. And, and it's been changed a lot by in, injuries at tight end and by some lousy play at wide receiver. So uh, nobody's nailing down their spot at wide receiver. The biggest biggest con- contribution was Lasley, who made a nice third down reception in this last game. White also played pretty well in this game, by the way. I thought he did not get any opportunities as a returner, but as a as a receiver, I thought he looked very good. Uh, so so he had some he had some positive things, but uh, but you know it is certainly possible Brashad Perriman is going to make this team. They keep trying to throw to him. Um, so, so anyway, that's a that's something, and I think they they may decide they don't have enough speed on the team without him. Uh, you know, Tim White's another alternative, but, uh, but yeah, I think there's a Perriman's probably got a 20%, maybe 25% chance to make the team right now. If I had to, if I had to handicap it. And on the other side of that, um, is Waller and Waller is an interesting cat because the Ravens need an extra tight end, but they also might be able to stash Waller on the practice squad. He's by far the best athlete of their tight ends. You look at the guy and if you put these guys in a lineup, you know, he'd always be picked first in any sport you were playing. <laughs> so uh, anyway, Waller, uh, the, the nice thing about him from the Ravens perspective, or, or nice is not the right word, is his toxicity. If you put him on the practice squad, I think given his past, I don't think anybody's going to take him off the Ravens practice squad. If the Ravens want to take that chance, they can carry one less tight end and maybe keep another defensive player around to see how their depth holds up for those first few weeks. So, uh, uh, you know, there are options in there. On the other hand, Waller, I think, could really help the team, too. He's looked pretty good as a blocker from what I've seen. They haven't used him, uh, I don't think, yet as a receiver. Uh, so, anyway, he's uh, he's looked good as a blocker to date, and that uh, is something where the Ravens are a little short. Right, especially with the Hurst injury. They've got, yeah, there you they've go. got some room there now. Um, Jim Rossner gets in, and he's asking in reference to the dime disappearing at the half as it has the past two weeks. And he says, uh, do you think that he's just too reluctant to show anything as far as change in play calling and expectations as we're moving towards the regular season? Um, I I think I understand what he's doing. He wants to see more inside linebackers in the second half. It's not strictly about... Uh, being hesitant with a dime. But the one other guy who could have gotten dime snaps is Deshaun Elliott, and now that's not a factor anymore. So I think right now there's not a lot of reason in this last preseason game to play a lot of dime because the two guys you want to play dime, you probably want out of there pretty quickly, Clark and Levine. So, you know, they're, they're going to be playing hopefully the last preseason game with, you know, Kai Nakua and maybe Bennett Jackson if he's back and other players like that who – they don't need to try and test and see if they're the dime. They really want to see if their inside linebackers can play. All right. Uh, Spencer Peterson gets in. How would you handicap the competition for kick returner and punt returner positions to open the season based on the first uh, four games? Well, I I would have said White was ahead going into this game, but I had this feeling that he must have said something that made hard or done something that made our hardball unhappy. So I, I, we did notice on the sideline that Janarian Grant, after his fumble, took his um, uh, admonition uh, from Harbaugh fairly well. 
but but I did not think that uh, you know I did we did not see what happened when White went to the sideline and how Harbaugh might have pulled him aside, but we did see White didn't return. So by that alone, you might say, boy, he probably did something that wasn't exactly right because he thought at least he'd get another chance after the fumble by Grant. So anyway, the, the, to start this game now, so neither neither player fumbled in this game. Grant got three quarters of opportunities, I think, before White even came in. Right. Uh, White White looked good as a receiver and looked really flashed the good speed as a receiver. Uh, he didn't get the chance to show himself as a punt returner in this game, which is unfortunate. And I think uh, the Ravens need to find out, you know, which of these two guys is the one because they can't both make the team. And I, I personally. I like the speed that Tim White brings a little better than I like what Janarian Grant brings to the table. But Grant's been a hard-nosed receiver, and maybe they like him for some receiving reason better. All right. Uh, Edgar Catano gets in with, I know it's all about the best player available, but isn't it conceivable that the Ravens have drafted way too many defensive linemen and neglected the offensive line somewhat in the last handful of years? You know, that's a that's a very fair complaint. What I say is, if you look at where the Ravens have been drafting defensive linemen and where they draft offensive linemen typically, I think that's really the question. You, 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 that's really where your answer lies. So they spent a number number six overall pick on Ronnie Stanley. That's that's fairly recent. You know, they, they otherwise, a lot of their uh, offensive linemen have been in the fourth, fifth, and sixth round where they always seem to try and get value players. So Nico Siragusa was a fourth-round pick, and Jensen was a six, I believe, and Lewis was a four. Uh, Skura was undrafted, so they definitely have a possibility there. Let's go through some of the other players here. Yanda way back when was a three, but I don't think that's really what he's talking about. They, you know, they spent a three on Orlando Brown this year, so they spent a little more in terms of draft capital, I think, in the last three years on the offensive line. But... The question is is a good one. You know, the the question I would ask back, Edgar, is do you think they should draft more defensive linemen if that's what they're really good at? So if the Ravens have have a proven track record of drafting good defensive linemen and have been less successful with offensive linemen, which, by the way, I don't know that that's the case. They've been pretty good with offensive linemen, too. But would you rather have them draft defensive linemen? And and maybe that question goes better with defensive linemen versus wide receivers, where the Ravens have just an awful record of drafting wide receivers and finding value in the late rounds. Uh, you know, it, I would probably rather them have you know take their flyer on the defensive linemen they feel most confident about because whoever is scouting and evaluating those players seems to do a better job with the defensive line than they do with wide receivers. All right. Uh, the mailbag's a little deep this week because if you remember uh, when we did the show with Chibs, I did not get to the mailbag that week. So if it seems like I got a whole lot of questions for you, Ken, that's why. And the next question up is from Michael. Uh, I'm just going to go with Robel. Robel. Yeah. Robel. Um, is it important to have Grant or White make the team as a return specialist? You discussed that a little bit, but couldn't Moore or Sneed handle these duties? Yeah, that's that's an interesting proposition. and certainly one where you might say – it can be exactly one or it can be zero of those two guys. And if, if Moore or Sneed can do it and you don't really take a lot of injury risk with that, then you do have an opportunity to save a roster spot and get a guy in who might play some special teams for you or maybe save one of these defensive players who really shouldn't be cut. You can't get value for them, and you, and you, but you, you still don't want to cut them, so you, so you keep them and you, and you cut a wide receiver that nobody else will want. So, yeah, definitely a possibility. I hate the idea of Chris Moore back there. I'm too fearful of injury. And I like I really like what he's shown. 
Yeah, you, you know, it's a very good point, but Moore was a hell of a kick return or kickoff return right, last year. So, okay. We I... hated it when Lardarius Webb was back there as a punt returner. Oh, boy, I couldn't stand it. Or or playing special teams in general when he was when he was so good. Right. right. And I don't know. In my eyes, the the return game has gone away from the from the NFL. And uh, well, you know, with all the kick rule changes and and everything, that I'm not too worried about that. Just catch the ball and don't run yet. Just all right. protect. All right. Uh, Jalen Ware asks. Should our Ravens build around and give C.J. Mosley a big contract? I say yes, and he is our best defensive player. Okay. Um, it's going to be a difficult question because I think for any player, there's a price at which you have to, you have to wave bye-bye. Right. And, and uh, you know, C.J. Has a, has a number, and I don't know where it is exactly because it's a moving target that changes every year as the cap changes and as the relative salaries of inside linebackers change. But they're going to have to make this decision over the course of the next uh, until the until they have to make the decision next spring on whether or not they tag him, because that effectively will force them to sign him. So during this next six months or so, maybe it's seven months, they have to make that decision. They have to figure out where they want to slot him or say goodbye. I think he's going to be worth at least one year at the franchise tag before they let him go, but probably not two years like a uh, uh, Le'Veon Bell or a Terrell Suggs has been in the past. So hopefully they'll they'll be able to get it right. They'll be able to work out something with Mosley. And, you know, frankly, let's hope he has a huge year because, you know, one of two things will then happen. The Ravens actually sign him to a size-appropriate contract or they'll let him go and they'll probably get a third-round draft pick right. in exchange. So, you know, that, that's my first concern right now is how does C.J. play in 2018? Right. I always felt like that was the plan for, for Mosley to stick around and do this. Mm-hmm. Um, who do you see as the other D-lineman? Uh, I, this person, uh, CZG Sports, says they have Pierce and Williams. Who else? Oh, beyond Pierce and Williams, who are the other linemen who stay? Yeah. Uh, okay, let me make sure I have this right. Henry for sure, Urban for sure, uh, Wormley for sure, Sealer, I think, not everybody else thinks, and Patrick Ricard would be the seven. Okay. And you, so they're keeping, you think Ricard on the defensive side? I Well, I think they'll keep seven, and Ricard is a, is, you get a so, bonus player out of it. Right, but so he's just, both. The, the, the idea is that you, you have your, your, um, four jumbo guys the ones and the threes you can't end up being short on those so that's what's keeping henry uh, sorry not henry davis in the in the conversation because he can play the one and the three tech you can't run out of those guys if you do you you, you potentially might have to go to the street for someone who's not very good because it's a it's a size and shape position that's more more rare but the guys brandon williams and michael pierce are just outstandingly good football players as long as they're healthy they've got the one and the three covered with just those two guys Patrick Ricard has been so effective at the nose that I think you're you're out of fear. And Willie Henry is a three-tech guy who plays mostly in passing situations, so that's really what's more important about his game. It's not the fact that he could play three-tech on an early down. It's the fact that he's really your best interior pass rusher among your linemen. So I think those four guys together are enough, and I think that probably means that, that Davis is on the outs uh, where we are right now. But obviously an injury would change that very quickly. Gotcha. Uh, one more question. Strive to be great asks, how high or low are you on rookie CB Anthony Everett? Very, very high. Um, he's uh, he's done everything right. If you look at my articles, 
He's uh, accumulated a plus five in the preseason. I only allow people to go up to plus six in terms of how much my expectations has changed. I believe I've, I've graded every one of his games positive. He might have had one zero so far, uh, but he's made play after play. He's been right there in coverage. He seemed to be good with the contact. And I mentioned this as a compar- comparison to Darius Williams, and I hate to keep beating on Darius, who I think is really a good football player, but Anthony Averett weighs 10 pounds less, and he's two inches taller than Darius Williams. So he's got a much more slender elfin frame. Well, that obviously is better for speed, and he's a faster guy. But the other thing is he just doesn't get bumped around, even with that more elfin frame. And, and, and he's able to stay with guys. The other thing we saw in this last game is his ability to time contact is very good, particularly the strip in the end zone. He could have had a pass interference penalty very early, but he waited, 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 waited. The ball came in, and then he punched it out. So it's just it's one of these really you know, seems to have all of the skills necessary for a, for a cornerback. And I'm, I'm very excited about his play. All right. Thank you, Ken. All right, guys, thank you for getting in your questions in the film study mailbag, hashtag film study mailbag on Twitter. Uh, more questions you send in, the more depth we can get into in our mailbag segment like we got to today. Ken, all of this is written out in an article. I'm sure that's up on Russell Street Report for guys that want to read and, and look up these numbers. What, what's going on over there? Sure. So a lot more detail, play references. You have the ability to go back using Game Pass or whatever you have to look at the plays I'm looking at. That's the way that's set up. It's on Russell Street Report. It's under Film Study. The podcast Josh and I do are there. They're also posted on on his website, which he'll tell you about. I want to just mention I'm on Twitter at Film Study Ravens. Love to get the discussion going any time of day. I'm always around. I have my tweet deck up, and as questions come over, I tend to respond to them pretty quickly. I uh, love to hear from you. Yeah, you know, this podcast, it's kind of like a movie version of a book where we're the podcast version of your notes. Yes. So there's there's different stuff in the podcast and deep different, deeper stuff in the in the notes. So you you should do both. Yep. It's always always the movie. They always take some artistic license with and they change it a little bit. And we do we do the same thing, particularly yes. when we have guests uh, on the podcast. Sure. Of course. Um, and then you can go ahead and check out my stuff. Go check out birdlandsports.com, which I mentioned to you guys earlier this week or last week at the time this is coming out. Um, but that's my new venture that's kind of a place for me to put all of these different shows that I helped out and stuff and bring you in to find more shows about Baltimore sports. So Section 336 is up there. Birdland BS is up there, which is an Orioles uh, talk uh, Dade's view is up there with his first episode. That podcast is rolling out probably this week or next week in full steam. And then we're going to have Chib's new podcast is going to be up there, I think, later this week as well. Uh, Neutral Zone Infraction. So there's lots of fun content going on up there. And check that out, and you can find everything at birdlandsports.com. It's very exciting. Can you take through for the for the Challenged. I realize a lot of these people, they have this podcast, but they might actually just be listening at their computer. Can you tell them how you subscribe to a podcast? Yeah. You can talk to me as if I'm a small child or a golden retriever, please, because I I need to understand this at a level I do not. Yeah. If you're, yeah, you know, and that's true. I do, when I look at the numbers, we do get a lot of people who just go to Russell Street Report and hit play. Um, And that, that's great. If that's how you do it, that doesn't work for me. But if that's how you do it, that's great. If you want to be able to listen to it a little better on your phone and want to get notices and everything, on your iPhone, I'm going to go by iPhone, but Android, you do all the same stuff, but you do it in your weird Android way. <laughs> so you download the podcast app on your iTunes app on your Apple phone or Android phone. 
There's other apps. I use an app called Overcast, which is my favorite podcast app. But there's a default app made by Apple called Podcast. You download that. You search in that app for Film Study, uh, and it'll bring up, and Film Study with Ken McCusick will pop up. You can even, and while you're at it, search Section 336 too and let that one pop up. And then you click on the little artwork for it, and it'll list, and it'll show you all of the podcast episodes that are out there, and you can tap on one and play. Or if you hit the subscribe button, then it downloads the most recent episode, and then it does that in the background while you're sleeping. So then when you wake up in the morning and you grab your phone or midday if an episode comes out, it'll pop up on your phone and say, hey, there's a new episode of Film Study. Check it okay. out. Very cool. I got to do that with some with some podcasts around the league and and with the the Birdland podcast as well. That's terrific. Yeah, no, it's the it's it's how podcasts are made to to be listened to. And I know many people listen on the websites. That doesn't work for me or the Twitter links. I love the Twitter links when I do, but I don't want to sit in my Twitter app for forty five minutes. So definitely, if you subscribe and download it in your podcast apps, it's way easier because you can listen to fifteen minutes, pause it get out of the car when you come back it starts playing right where you were so definitely uh go go be like a millennial and download the app and that's that's lots of advantages i am so not unlike a millennial because i still drive a 1999 uh acura tl so anyway i'm very behind in a lot of ways but that's a that's uh that's one of them and when i get a new car i'll have that phone that'll plug in maureen just got one and, and and she has the ability to do podcasts like this but i don't all right well um you can also I think you can download a, a iPad and you can sync podcasts to your iPod. So there's definitely old school ways to do it as well. But yeah, the phone is the easiest. And uh, the Apple Watch does really well for podcasts as well. You can download them right onto that if you need to for your runs. Okay, so you can, you can listen while you run. Very good. All right, Ken. Well, why don't you share about our schedule for the next couple, next two weeks, week and a half yeah. as we prepare for the Raven season? Right, so so we've got a few podcasts still remaining. We'll have a podcast uh, tomorrow night on uh, that'll post, and that'll be on the offense, talking about some things. We're going to have a specific focus on the center battle and some scoring we've done this week for three of the key center uh, position players. So we're looking forward to that tomorrow night. Um, then on Friday, we'll have maybe the most important podcast this season, the 53-man roster projection podcast, our final one. You can still get it in time before cut day occurs. Uh, get your get your uh, pool in with the Ravens and hope you win whatever prize they're giving away this year. Uh, but anyway, that'll be a, a, an interesting podcast to get our final 53 set on Friday. We're not going to do a offense and defense podcast that's specific, although we'll talk about a few things that happen in the game. We're just going to do a uh, 53-man roster final on uh, on Friday, right. and, and we should hope that'll post fairly early Friday night. Right, and that's because that's going to be after preseason game number five. And as yes. my question that I had here to ask you tomorrow, or uh, when we do the offense, is explain to me why the Ravens even need to play a fifth preseason game. <laughs> that's a good question, but the, the, the only reason is that they can't not play the Bears in week five. <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah, so. but I'm saying I don't know who you send out there, but it's your fifth preseason game, and then you're going to have a busy start of your season. I don't like it. We will be. We. I mean, the, the Ravens, even with this extra game, have have done had done until this game extremely well with injuries. But it would be very bad to see someone hurt in that last game. I, I think you have a fan contest and see who wants to win at the <laughs> slot to be the wide receivers that day. All right. Or or just a lot of Perriman. 
I'm down <laughs> with that also. All right, Ken. Well, we will follow up on uh, on Monday with the offense. Great. Talk to you later, John. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture, and when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space, just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.